Welcome to Future Perspectives, the Locarno Film Festival podcast presented by UBS. I'm your host, Gabby Sanderson, and I'm here to talk with international film stars, upcoming talent, and industry game changers. Over the Future Perspectives series, you will discover secret stories and inspiring perspectives on the future of cinema culture and society. So let's begin. This is Future Spectives. Welcome, Michelle Serrier. Yes. You're a writer, director, producer and co-founder of New Caribbean Cinema and founder of Citizen Cinema Collective, Imagine Caribbean. And you're from St. Lucia. I'm from St. Lucia. So the two first things, um, New Caribbean Cinema, that is a collective that I had founded a long time ago. I'm no longer doing that. My current work is based in St. Lucia through my production company, Imagine Caribbean. Mm. And I'm really excited about that. That's the vehicle through which I've been doing um, the project that got me here to Locarno, mm -hmm. um, the feature documentary that we just premiered at Hot Docs in May. And it's like very exciting for me to be producing work from home because most of that other work, including the collective New Caribbean Cinema, had been based in Jamaica, where I had lived for a number of years. Right. But that's now in the past, in that's the rear view. Yep. Now in the past. Yep. Uh, your original career path was to be a forestry engineer. <laughs> How did you come across that piece of <laughs> intel? <laughs> Who told you this? I, I like to surprise. Oh, my I, I God. I paid off your publicist. Oh, no, my I'm God. Kidding. I'm not talking to anybody. Who did I say this to as I was here? This is true. I Well, I just wondered from A to B, how did we get from a forestry engineer mm -hmm. to Filmmaking? the lady sat opposite Oh, my God. I think, now, oh, my goodness. That You know what happened when I even wrote that application? So I was 17 years old and just um, left A-level. And as always, I could never choose. I can never choose between, I couldn't choose between the foreign languages that I was studying and sciences. So I was doing both. And so I got this opportunity to study in Cuba. And I thought, okay, well, I'll be studying sciences in a Spanish speaking country that allows me to do both things. So I went and I did it. And when I wrote the application, I remember the lady saying to me, wow, you sure you don't want to be a writer? <laughs> this really? actually happened, yeah. And <clears throat> I just laughed it off and I went, but being there in the program, Cuba was amazing and it's still one of the most amazing experiences I had in my entire life. But I realized that my heart was not in sciences. You know, I'm still an environmentalist. I still do a lot of work on, you know, conservation and stuff, but I, I, I didn't want to um, study forestry engineering anymore. So I tried to get out of the program to change to do foreign languages, but the ministry said I'd have to come out of my program, wait a year, then reapply to do another six years because to do that first degree, it's six years. I said, oh, Oof. no. Oh, no, man, that's too much time. And so then I went to Jamaica and um, studied communication, drama, cultural studies, um, theater, all of that stuff. And that brought me and to filmmaking. So your work has been screened at film festivals and art spaces in the Caribbean, Africa, Europe and the, the Americas. Mm -hmm. And your creative development has been supported by the Sundance Institute, Tribeca Film Institute, Chicken and Egg Pictures, the Alter Cine Foundation, amongst others. When we say supported, how so? Is it like a financial support? or is Both it things. And when you say chicken and egg, that's actually one of the um, grants slash fellowships that has meant the most to me because that one is focused primarily on women. 
And it was really through this amazing filmmaker named Yvonne Wellborn that I got that opportunity. I actually met her. Oh my God. Okay, she brings together everything. I met her for the first time at a workshop that the Sundance Institute was giving with the Miami Filmmakers Collective in Miami. I met her there. Then I met her a second time when I received a grant from the Tribeca Film Institute in New York for a, a documentary I was developing. And I pitched her my project. She encouraged me to apply for this diversity development initiative in documentary filmmaking that Chicken and Egg Pictures was doing. And that's where like, I really came into an understanding for myself as a female filmmaker of just a lot of the psychological barriers that women mm. specifically have and that was groundbreaking for me i mean we work in silos and you think oh my god like the things that i'm going through you think you're the only one going through it and to realize that this is really gendered and this is really like yeah. society and this is really not something that you alone are going through it really was a breakthrough for me and so that opportunity um, i think I, I know changed a lot for me in terms of just giving me a perspective that allowed me to have more confidence in what I was doing right. and also just to question all of the, the barriers that yeah. I had in my own mind that was keeping me back. Because sometimes it's in our subconscious, so Absolutely. we don't even realise right. we, we're restricting ourselves, ourselves right. because of these messages. Exactly, and we think that we're just being neurotic and we're the <laughs> only ones who are being neurotic, but no, it's a collective neurosis joking. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> No, but it, like being a female, you know, and working within entertainment, let's call it that, then we do have extra challenges. It's very true. And me being, I'm from St. Lucia. St. Lucia is really small. It's a very beautiful, the most beautiful island in the Caribbean. We changed hands 14 times between the British and the French, seven times British, seven times French, which is why I would have a name like Michelle Sellier and be speaking English, right? But in terms of filmmaking landscape industry, that's almost non-existent. So for people like myself, it's extra difficult. It's like you're yeah. pushing this rock up a hill with your little finger, trying to be a filmmaker from somewhere like this, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Can we talk about Imagine Caribbean? Sure. Excellent. This is a boutique production company based in St. Lucia, focused on presenting unique screen stories about the Caribbean. So... The narratives, where do they come from for these stories? Obviously, I know location, but, right. you know, how do you find the stories that you want to tell? Location is everything because the location, our location, that alone is so rich. So everything, every issue you can imagine that exists in a post-colonial society mm. exists within our Caribbean space. So even though I'm based in St. Lucia, the work is not limited to St. Lucia specifically. So the real truth is that I had started Imagine Caribbean as soon as I left grad school. I did. I came back to St. Lucia. I wanted to do this. I started doing some work there. And then I went back to Jamaica and founded the collective and put my little brainchild on the shelf whilst I did the group work. So this is me coming right back to what it was that I was initially supposed to be doing. Right. And one of the, the documentary that I just did, it's through Imagine Caribbean as a company. It actually is about a Caribbean migrant farm worker who was born in Jamaica, who moved to Canada, um, working in the... Um, tobacco and fruit picking and gets a cancer diagnosis and comes back home with his family. So the work isn't limited to just one island. We are 
um, a Caribbean community, mm-hmm. CARICOM. So mm-hmm. the work comes from and is inspired by our collective experience as post-colonial states, developing states. Mm. Is, has there been recently a resurgence, would you say, in Caribbean cinema? Absolutely. And, and I you am, were part of the wave. Absolutely. Like, I will claim that, you know, I will claim that. And that's something I'm very proud of because we were not getting funding, not getting opportunities, you know, that other people in developing countries get and also other islands that have these funding bodies. So we bootstrapped and did it ourselves and inspired different islands to start um, doing short form film production. New Caribbean cinema inspired what exists now in Jamaica, which is JAFTA Propeller, which is a program where... Um, they give little grants to short for, for filmmakers to make their short films. And that started after we did our first series on our own, using the profits that we made from doing work from Red Bull or whatever. And so we took the risk and they realized from the reception that we got and the enthusiasm, oh, this mm-hmm. is this is feasible, this is possible. And so things developed. And I'm really glad because that was the intention. That mm-hmm. was always the intention to inspire young filmmakers to start where you stand, that it's possible, you know, mm-hmm. to tell the stories and their stories stories are needed. People want to see themselves reflected. And so right now in uh, Miami, there's a really cool film festival called Third Horizon, and they're trying to bring everybody together in St. Vincent. There's a Haruna Film Festival, and I'm really excited to get back into um, exhibiting films because it's something that I used to do too. I used to program the Francophonie Film Festival in Jamaica, as well as Flashpoint Film Festival. And I'm very excited to say that this year in the community that I live in now, where both my parents were raised, I'll be doing Creole cinema screenings in association with the um, Miku North Council, Constituency Council. Um, I'm just really excited about that. That's really cool. Yes, yes. Really, really cool. Congratulations. Thank you. I would like to go back to something you said right at the start. You mentioned Hot Docs. Mm-hmm. Hot Docs is the International Documentary Film Festival of Canada in Toronto. Um, it's You know that TIFF is like a big film festival in Toronto that focuses mostly on um, fiction, feature-length films. I think they have some documentaries as well, but Hot Docs is specifically about documentaries and it's it's a big deal. It's a great film festival. It's very youth-run. It's very... Um, they have really a wide variety of types of films, very artsy, creative documentaries, and that for me is is really cool because mm-hmm. then you get to see and experience a whole range of um, non-fiction storytelling. And um, it's very prestigious and very well respected in the um, documentary world, you know. Don't Come Searching. Mm -hmm. This is an international collaboration with a Canadian filmmaker and it had its world premiere at Hot Docs this year. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me a bit about all of this? So spill the tea. (laughs) What tea is there to be spilled? Um, In 2019, actually, Andrew reached out to me and needed help with this film that he had worked on. And I was in St. Lucia. I went to St. Lucia for three weeks to um, go to Fruno. My aunt had died. And that three weeks has turned into three years. I never went back, right? But within that period, he reached out, um, I think because my strength is story development and um, being a story producer, creative producer. He had this cut of the film that was... Uh, very different from the film that we have now. And initially, I actually had said no because I'm very aware of this dynamic of filmmakers from the global north, if you want to call it, um, 
coming in, telling our stories and then whatnot. But I, 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 I grueled him. I asked him the most difficult questions. I asked him everything that he, I came out with guns blazing. And he, he, he passed the test because it turned out that we had a lot in common. And that commonality is what made us um, able to work on this film together for the past three years and make it a much better story than it was. And we developed a friendship from that. And so that actually helped me to just get over some very traumatizing, horrific relationships I'd had with other collaborators in the past. Like this experience was a very positive one. Just going back to what you said about with the the collaboration thing, it's almost like dating, isn't it? You you know when you, it's about chemistry and it's yeah. about getting each other. Yes, it's both of our first feature length documentaries. So to premiere at Hot Docs is a big deal for both of us. Back to what it is that we had in common. Andrew is from well, his granddad had been an immigrant in Canada, and his family. He grew up in a rural town, Lucan, in Canada, and my family is originally from a rural background as well. And the thing that sparked him wanting to tell this story, he noticed that his granddad was able to create a very good living for his family in that period where he was a migrant in in Canada, but that for Caribbean migrant workers in Canada now, it's completely different. Like they face a whole different set of obstacles that, you know, other types of immigrants don't face. So from that observation, he started making this film and then the man, Delroy, was very, very keen on having his life documented. And so he gave him that access and gave him that consent. You know, it's, it's, it's not a happy story. It's a difficult film, but it's handled with dignity. Mm-hmm. That's where I came in because I really wanted to make sure that this man's life and his experience was handled with the care that it needed that it warranted and also I just think it's very important to tell these stories that we would not ordinarily see or know you know of lives that we may not deem to be mm. worthy of that kind of you know attention but they are so I'm, I'm proud of that work as well. This was something I saw that I, I just wanted to ask you in advance about if it was happening because there wasn't much um, indomitable. So, how, how long ago was indomitable? Phew, boy. Um, That started in December 2011 and is, I guess, one of the things that has brought me here. I can talk about this with love. Okay. Sometimes in life you come across people who really inspire you, right? And when I was in um, undergrad, I met this guy. His name is Kaino Cunningham. And he was an actor, dancer, singer, super talented, super inspiring. I directed him for my directing... um, exam when I was finishing up as a student and he was also working on because whilst I was a student there was a feature film being shot in Jamaica and I was working on it as a PA and he was on there and stuff but I knew him personally through drama school and he had a really horrific experience where when he was on this thing the the Caribbean version of of X Factor? Basically, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he was winning and he was doing a great job. It's called Rising Stars. And someone outed him because he was closeted. Mm. And he was publicly outed in the worst way possible. Like the whole country knew. I remember being on a film set and receiving this video, right? And I was like, oh my God, because this was my friend and I knew him personally. And so basically he had to leave Jamaica um 
seek exile in the U.S. And when I was on the plane from St. Lucia heading to the U.S. to start grad school at Columbia University, we crossed each other on the flight, which was insane. And so he was in New York, I was in New York, and I was trying to help him by like trying to get him to take his um, actor's photo, do get your actor's um, bio and stuff, and I would slip them into all the grad students in the MFA program into their locker so they would see this actor and give him a chance and all of that. And he finally agreed to allow me to interview him about what happened to him in Jamaica. And I remember that first interview, which was in December of 2011. That's why I can tell you exactly when it started. We were right. in the park in Harlem and I put my hand on his chest and his heart was just racing because he had brought all that trauma with him oh. to New York and he couldn't even speak about it. And But he had agreed to speak about it and allowed me to tell his story. And so I had called, this was the first title of this film, Indomitable which later turned into Swimming on Dry Land, which you will see on the Tribeca Film Institute website because I won a grant from them. But I pitched it first in Trinidad and Tobago and Jose Rodriguez, who was the head of the documentary division at Tribeca was there in Trinidad and Tobago at the time. And in January the following year, I remember I was driving in Kingston and he called me and he said, you won the grant and I nearly crashed the car. <laughs> I was so wow. happy, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that was 11 years, years ago. ago. And a lot of bad things happened in between here and then and the film. We weren't able to finish it, you know. So I say it's still ongoing because Kaino is still indomitable and we're not giving up. And like he's done a lot of great things to free himself from all of that trauma and stuff since then. So it'll find another life as something. But that film is really special and important to mm. me and to him and I, I guess to my career mm. as well. I, I, I really hope it does because that's a story that yeah. needs to be yeah, told, you know. Mm -hmm. Let's go to the present mm -hmm. and talk about the Locarno Film Festival Open Doors Producer Lab. Mm -hmm. So this project selects nine producers or director producers who are invited to come to attend in Locarno, a personalised programme uh, focusing on the role of the creative producer do you know what? I'm just reading this. You could tell me more because you, 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 you're in it. You know, you're in it. <laughs> so let me tell you something. This has been really special. Um, Shuzi Bankuti, her team, like Sarah Scheiser and the rest of them, Paula Ostaga, who came from Mexico, like they curated this thing with love. The selection they made just in terms of even the types of people they invited to talk to us the safe space that they created for the producers to be able to talk about our own issues and how it is that we feel we're being like either sidelined or stereotyped or whatever in this global industry. This, um, not just the program, because I know this program has existed for 20 years. This year is the 20th year they're doing it, but it's the first time that they're focusing on Latin America and the Caribbean. And I come from an island that is 238 square miles, right? right. We're... We kind of have this cultural schizophrenia because we're British, French, Creole, what are we, where are we? And like the bigger islands like Jamaica, Trinidad and stuff, they speak really loudly and kind of drown the rest of us out, you know? So I'm the first person from St. Lucia to be part of this program. Right. There is Mishaida Philip, who's from Grenada, who's the first Grenadian who's in the screenings part of the program, not the lab. There's also Aiko Rudet from St. Vincent and the Grenadines and Ackley Olton from St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And the reason I'm mentioning them is because 
when you think of the Caribbean, you don't know about these other little islands. Well, people who go on vacation and want to go on vacation to the best places in the world know about these islands. But otherwise, you just think of the other more, you know, the bigger ones. The bigger ones, right. right. And so I'm happy that the program created space for someone like me to be able to apply. Mm -hmm. It was a matter of like synchronicity and destiny too, because I missed all of their online like um, sensitization things. Yeah, I totally did. And I had just signed up to their newsletter and I guess I was on their radar for the work and whatnot. And also Jonathan Ali, who worked with the Trinidad Tobago Film Festival and worked with Third Horizon, was their Caribbean advisor. And so he knew, I guess, me and my work from years ago and maybe had said something or whatnot. But I put in the application, I put it in late. I thought, oh my God, why am I doing this? I'm not going to get in anyway. All of that, all of those things happened. And then I got through, I was really happy about it. I came and it was. It has been consistently good and good for your spirit. Mm -hmm. That's the thing, like you attend labs sometimes and it's like some European person talking at you and telling you about your own reality, you know? Well, but yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. it's true. But like they listen and like the whole focus of this kind of program is to give us the space to speak about our realities and also to help create a more creative type of producer which is very necessary because people think to like producers are just the persons who bring in the money or this and that but there is a way in which your role as a creative producer is really to support the artist and to support them you're their therapist you're their mother you're there you know mm -hmm. and you're also an artist and a creative bringing insight to the work and like going through the program just also underscored for me like I need a creative producer for myself as well because I'm a writer director also yeah. and so I've met some wonderful people like Gilbert Mirambo from um, Haiti and Sam who's a young director that he also produces for so here I've made some inter-Caribbean and inter-Latin American um, connections that I know are going to see me forward like Daniela I've just met some wonderful people that I know I'm going to collaborate with, you know, in the future. So this has been awesome. We would not have met each other if we hadn't come here. That is amazing. It's amazing and ridiculous at the same time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and the Open Doors Producers Lab also has awards. Mm -hmm. And you have won two this year. Congratulations. <laughs> Before we talk about the specific awards, we need to talk about the project that you've been awarded for right? right which is black are we allowed to talk about black madonna i can say you can say the name i just can't tell you too much about what well, that it's, it's, it's such a good name <laughs> okay okay uh i know we have to be a bit careful because it's not out yet but the uh two awards that you have received this year are for projects in development that have great titles <laughs> so maybe we can talk about First of all, the one that won two, the two awards, it's a thriller? Yeah. Black Madonna? Yes, it's a supernatural thriller. It's set in, well, I mean, it's inspired by St. Lucia, but um, it's set in a fictitious Caribbean island. And one of the main inspirations, aside from my country, is um, this woman who... My history teacher, when I was in secondary school, my history, my history teacher from secondary school, who's now a professor at the local community college... Two years ago told me about this woman who died under punishment in a pillory is this wooden thing it's a punishment thing they put your head through it and your hands through it if you're an enslaved person given trouble on a plantation horrific yeah. so this woman whose name is petroni 
died whilst under punishment. So there was a inquiry into her death because she shouldn't have died whilst in this um, punishment thing, pillory. And there is a deposition journal that's in the British archives of different people there asking about her. And he gave me a copy of this deposition journal. And the thing that comes through from almost everybody they ask about her is that she refused to be enslaved. She refused to be enslaved. And that inspired everything that's brought me here. Because she would sabotage stuff on the plantation. She was a negress mawa, which means like she would just deuces, quit, like just run to the hills, like leave, you know? And she was just always resisting this institution of oppression. Mm. And, you know, everybody's voice is present in that deposition journal except hers because she died. So I took, that was, that, that's the source material. And I took that and imagined a history for her. I also lent her a bit of my trauma that I had dealt with, with a very personal <laughs> thing that happened with me and created this story to give her voice because her voice is missing in that journal. And to, to be able to speak about something that was happening in St. Lucia that hopefully we're curbing now. We've had a change of administration, but we had a we had a government that was really not interested in preserving the ancestral lands of the people of St. Lucia and like mm -hmm. selling off our lands to build golf courses and all of that. And so it was that sense of indignation and just, you know, anger fueled writing the story. So it's a yeah. post-colonial critique of just how certain things happen in certain spaces that perhaps shouldn't. Like you have these things like these... Um, weddings and these really festive events happening on ruins and sites that are sites of a lot of pain yeah and you know where someone not just someone but lots of people would have given their lives and perhaps their spirits are not happy with these types of activities happening there right yeah so yeah. those are some of the themes that i deal with in the work and it's from a very personal space but it's also a political statement about yeah. um post-colonial tourist destinations like the one from which i hail interesting <laughs> and that fighting spirit mm -hmm. is i i absolutely can feel and see that in you so yes, i guess yeah. that's why you connected so much with this person and yes and needed to tell that important story I, I think so because i've had to i've had to employ that fighting spirit my entire life like as an artist from a small island yeah. going to a bigger one trying to carve a space for myself and not being able to do that going back home and like not giving up you know yeah and that's just all caribbean women have yeah. to do that and and just within the community as well not sort of when you're going out to elsewhere but within saint lucia do they raise eyebrows or are they all for you this is the first time I've spoken about this out loud. And so, you know, my um, friend from <laughs> from the um, um, Francophonie Institute is like, oh boy, you're making this film. When the tourism lobby comes after you, what are you going to do? Where are you going to live? <laughs> But I'm like, no, they'll be okay. I'm just suggesting ways in which they can diversify the tourism product. You know, I'm not saying I don't want tourists to come to St. Lucia or anything like that. But I also know that this this um, administration, they, I believe that they understand where this is coming from. Because this year, 
for instance, Emancipation, we just celebrated Emancipation on August 1st, and they celebrated her. They actually put up a big billboard about Petroni. And for instance, the previous government did not acknowledge Emancipation. And this year, Emancipation celebrations in St. Lucia is going to be the whole month of August, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that their consciousness around how important it is for the people of St. Lucia who are primarily descended from these formerly enslaved Africans, you know, I'm hoping that they can see the significance and the, the, the need for me to be able to tell a story like this. And it's not, um, it's not going to destroy anything. It's going to help us build something mm. even stronger. Absolutely. Yeah. Just hearing you speak without even watching it, I can see why you've won two awards already. Thank you. The Open Doors Moulin de Onde. Oui, Onde, uh-huh. And the second award is the OIF ACP EU Award. Mm -hmm. And both of these are really welcome. I'm so happy. Like I couldn't be more happy because writing is my first love. That's the that's 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 the first 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 love. And one of these is a residency at a very prestigious, the Moulin d'Andé, like they work with the Cine Fondation of Cannes um, Film Festival, their history, like they've had all of these luminous and luminary um, filmmakers come there. It's like a cultural institution right. and I get to go there and focus on making the script stronger <sighs> and I get three, not one, but three. Great consultancies, <laughs> right? With this amazing script editor who's just going to help me make this story stronger. And the thing I like about them, because I mentioned my friend, my new friend, Sam Sufrem, that I met from Haiti. He's gone through a program like this with the, the, the Francophonie program. And he's told me that the script editors they have are amazing and they're not trying to force you to take on their perspective or whatnot. They help you make your story stronger. Wow. And so these two things are going to work yeah. hand in hand because it's all, it starts on the page. It starts with the script. And so I'm being helped like to make the foundation of this as strong as it needs to be. And then I yeah. move on to put in practice all the things that I learned about creative producing and like how to get a co-producer and like move it to the next stages. So I'm so excited. Oh, I'm, I'm excited so for you. <laughs> I'm really excited for you. And I can see why I can see why Black Madonna has been scheduled for 2023 to be screened in Locarno because everyone's like, yep, this is going to be great. <laughs> this is going to win stuff. <laughs> so... You know, again, I feel like you've really got the support of Locarno behind you because fast forwarding another year to 2024, <laughs> we've got another project scheduled and we can probably talk less about this one, but we can share the title, right? Yep. <laughs> the Virgin and the Whore. Yep. My mother won't be listening to this. So. <laughs> <laughs> the Virgin and the Whore is going to be screened in Locarno. Well, I don't know if it's going to be screened in Locarno. That's really? not that's not a, a Oh, it's a, scheduled. A yeah, it's scheduled for release, right? It's scheduled, it's scheduled to be included in future Locarno Film Festival. That you have that there. I have that oh in on, on the website. Oh, wow. So oh, it's on the Locarno oh, website. Oh so. my goodness. Speaking oh. it into existence. Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> yes, thank you because I hear I am being um conservative about this because I don't know that they would accept the film it would be good enough to get in or whatnot. But yes, let me see. Yes. Well, it says to me, on on the website both of which have already been scheduled to be included in future Locarno Film Festivals 2023 and 2024. Well, that's great news for me. Today's a good day, isn't Today's it? Today's a wonderful day. <laughs> <laughs> where's, 
a bottle of champagne. Is there any left for me? <laughs> so can you give us any kind of insight into the Virgin and the Whore? I'm going to keep saying the title because I think it's great. <laughs> well, it, it talks about a virgin and a whore. Anyway, yeah. so this is a um, hybrid non-fiction primarily work that's mm -hmm. been years in the making, a few years in the making. It's me coming to terms with an experience I had many years ago working with someone who is very important to me mm. as a mentor, but also as a non-mentor. Like I have a very complex okay. relationship and individual with someone who is a famous playwright. And so, yes, mm. that's all I can say at the moment. It is nonfiction. It's a very personal memoir kind of story. Right. Um, but audiovisual and with some interactive elements. So, and yeah. we've got two years to, to, wait. to work on it. Yeah. Okay. But, um, well, then, something that we can watch now, mm -hmm. if we haven't already watched it, working with Shaggy. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Like, okay, I'm, I'm still going to say this. I do not care. Unfortunately, I don't have a happy Shaggy story to oh. tell you. Yeah, I don't. You know who I have a good story about, though? Please. There's an artist named Taurus Riley. Yeah. I love him and will love him forever. What, that is a good guy. What makes him so great? He's just like, okay, we did this music video for him, <clears throat> Shaka Zulu Pickney. And, you know... He didn't write the song. He may not have written it on his own. But just the message behind that song and just the, the consciousness that he brings to the table and the humility. Mm. Guy was never a diva, never anything but cool. And I remember at the end of the shoot, there were these um, spears and shields that our art director had made. They were these African ones. And I bought a pair of them and I gave them to him. I gifted them back to him. And he said to me, thank you, Michelle. People normally always want something from me. This is the first time anybody has ever given me anything. And I never forgot that. I thought that was oh. super sweet of him to even say. He didn't even have to yeah. tell me that. You know, but that's the kind of person that he showed himself to be. Right? So I can say this. We were doing a kind of behind-the-scenes documentary about the process. and For stuff Red and Bull, right? Right, mm -hmm. for Red Bull. Because mm -hmm. at the time... Oh man, that Red Bull had a really awesome communications um, manager from Puerto Rico named Jessica Passos. And she was super interested in telling stories from the Caribbean. And it was just good timing. I had come from Colombia. My, my um, personal private, like my partner at the time had been doing their still photography. And I came on a shoot to assist him and she and I got to talking. And then I showed her some work that um, I had just started the collective New Caribbean Cinema. And we ended up being their production partner for years. And I, that's how I cut my teeth, like producing and directing these short form documentaries. It was telling these little stories for Red Bull yeah right because they were they were very interested in not just selling the can but they would tell these little cultural stories about sofas coming to Jamaica this that whatever to indirectly sell mm. the product but mm -hmm. they were getting to tell these stories you know and it, it gave me the opportunity to just do that stuff because I was writing the treatments directing and producing it and that's because she was interested in telling Caribbean stories so that was great and that's the first time too like I was able to set my rate and she didn't question me mm. you know she didn't try to beat me down or whatever I mean the rates were low anyway they knew they were getting a really good deal in the first place <laughs> <laughs> she didn't need to beat me down 
Working with brands and like telling a brand story, I think that's sort of a, a what's the right a, a chemistry thing and a connection thing as well, isn't it? Because some brands I feel are very genuine and they do want to make their mark in society. And then there's others that just want to be as commercialised as possible and appeal to the masses and do all the sales. This is very true. Yeah. It's very true. But sometimes, too, you have some that's just very smart and very strategic and they're B, but they employ A to make you think that they actually care. They just, mm -hmm. like, hire someone they know you're going to relate to for whatever reasons, but their their interest is really in the bottom line. So you have to be careful and know we're living in a capitalist system and just know what's what, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then doing those projects, that sort of helps with the income for the passion projects. That is very true. That mm -hmm. is very true because, honestly, if I hadn't had that opportunity with Red Bull, I wouldn't have been able to do the passion projects. That's a fact. I cannot deny that. That's mm. a fact. I could literally talk to you all day. Michelle Sarrier, this has been an absolute pleasure. The pleasure There's... has been all mine. Oh, say. no, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one thing left to do. Let's roll your closing credits. What movie have you watched most in your life and why? The movie I've watched the most in my life is Yuzan Palsy's Rukasneg. And my why is because that film is the film that made me want to be a filmmaker. So when I'm feeling, oh my God, what the fuck? Why am I doing this? I look at that film <laughs> to remind me of how I felt when I saw it the first time. Because, Beautiful. yeah. Mm. If you could have the Piazza Grande to yourself with your friends, what movie would you like to watch on the giant screen? The same one. Yeah. Rukasneg. You're directing a movie about your life. What would the opening and closing scenes look like? Water in St. Lucia. It would begin and end with the ocean. The ocean is my biggest muse. So I, I can't tell you the whole scene, but I can tell you opening and closing images would have something to do with the ocean. If you could create a new category of award at the Locarno Film Festival, what would it be and who would you give it to? I would create an award for the most resilient filmmaker from an unknown space because there are so many people out there fighting battles that we cannot even begin to imagine just to be artists and it's something that in societies like these we take for granted you know mm -hmm. I, I remember hearing Rudy from SDC talking about art being a human right it's 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 not a human right for 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 us. Like we have to fight to get our governments to recognize that th this is something. It's not it's not a hobby. It's not it's not uh, a pastime. So I would give that award to the person who has overcome those types of obstacles to be able to call themselves an artist. Mm. Is today's art shaping society as it should? No, it's not. And the reason is because there's not enough diversity in the types of art and specifically cinema that we we're able to see in the past there was more i remember being able to see a lot of french cinema and stuff through the francophonie institutes etc and there was more of a culture of cinema now it's just hollywood just bombarding everybody with shit and so my answer is no what's the biggest challenge today for cinema and culture exactly what i just said right what can art and cinema do to improve people's lives so much and it really just comes down to finding ways to make cinema more accessible to people in different corners of the world and different parts of like my island for instance so 
I'm really excited to be able to do these um, queer cinema screenings that I'm going to start in October. It's things like that. Just giving mm -hmm. people the opportunity to be inspired by something different and to just expand their consciousness and their imagination. That mm. counts for so much. Mm. What are your hopes for the future of film festivals? My hopes for the future of film festivals? I want to see more film festivals in the Caribbean and Latin America. And I want to see us sharing more of our work amongst each other in those various film festivals. That's what I want. Mm. Diversity and like numbers and sharing. And final question, as the Locarno Film Festival is all about freedom, do you feel free? I do. I do. I've felt more free in these last few days here than I have in a long time. And I'm really grateful for that. It's a beautiful way to end. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're a rock so star. in <laughs> in Saint Lucia. So Michelle Serrier. That's okay. You're not the first, second, third, fourth, fifth. We just practiced it and everything. <laughs> it happens all the time. I forgive you. It's like my brain. You'll just... buy me a drink later. Okay. okay. Michelle Serrier. Sure. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Future Spectives, the Locarno Film Festival podcast presented by UBS. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support Future Spectives with your review and subscribe on all the major podcast platforms. This series is created and produced by Brand Audio Media.